You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. Loaded up today, a preview of South Carolina. A scouting spotlight goes to Kentucky, Tennessee, Georgia, and beyond. The top defensive players in the SEC. So we are loaded up with Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. Go to LandryFootball.com to learn more about football, be it pro, college, or recruiting. You will be a more learned fan. I can promise you that. And be sure to go to Twillery.com. That's Twillery.com. Use the Locked On promo code, the Locked On promo code, to get $25 off fantastic shirts that you don't have to iron. You can even wear them untucked. You bundle together four, and they can be as cheap altogether with the Locked On promo code, 200 bucks. So restock that wardrobe. You need it. News and notes of the day, Chris. Uh, we begin with uh, LSU. and Kind of a quiet day news-wise, but... Uh, news and notes of the day, we start in Baton Rouge. Yeah, so at, uh, Jacqueline Roy, a defensive tackle, four-star kid, 6'4", 289. Really good-looking kid on the huff, and he moves very well. Um, he was, uh, he decided, in March, he made a verbal commitment, excuse me, in last September, he made a commitment to LSU. And then in March, he reopened his recruitment. And it's uh, Alabama, it's LSU, and it's A&M. Um, and it just hadn't been a whole lot of activity um, over the past few months. But it does appear that of those three schools, that LSU's got a little bit of an edge here. Not done yet. It's a race. LSU, I'd say, has just maybe got a, uh, a um, one-horse lead, so to speak. And uh, we'll see how this plays out. But this would be, a, obviously, a big loss for LSU um, as, as a you know, Baton Rouge native. Uh, for a- not only Alabama, but now A&M, you know, one of those taking them away. LSU, you know, in, in the state of Louisiana, the quality is very, very good. But depending upon the year, the quantity is not always as, as good from one year to the next, particularly at one position. And it, it's imperative that LSU keeps these type of kids um, and away from Alabama. Alabama's had success coming in and picking – some of the top kids uh, away from LSU. And if A&M can start to make inroads, that's that's not going to bode very well for LSU down the road. So it's a little thing. It's one guy, um, but it is one we are going to watch. But Jacqueline Roy, I think, uh, is uh, in the lead right now, or LSU's in the lead right now for his services. If I thought of in-state prospects that are toughest to get by a school from from really any state, uh, in the nation, uh, a school that wants them. I think Louisiana ranks right up there. If LSU wants you, it's pretty tough to pull a prospect out of that state. Would you agree with that? Uh, it is, although Nick Saban has really done a number on him. I mean, you know, you know, when he was the coach at LSU, um, listen, uh, you know, Les is a nice guy, Ed's a nice guy, and, and they're good coaches, but the respect level, that the high school coaches in this state have for Nick Saban is immense. And he developed that when he was the head coach at LSU. And, you know, if Alabama wants an elite player in Louisiana, I mean, they've batted very well. I mean, I'd have to go back and look at the numbers. I don't want to throw out a figure and say they're batting this or that. I'm just telling you, they're, they're doing pretty – they're doing a lot better than anybody else has. Now, going back years – you know, like when I was there, 
when I was, you know, recruiting coordinator there, we, we didn't have great, this was before the big money and the big facilities and whatnot. We had a lot of programs came in and got kids, you know, and it could be Florida state or Michigan, Notre Dame, Miami, a lot, a lot of kids, but it was a different world since they upgraded. And Nick Saban was the big reason he was the guy that put the fence around the state of Louisiana. He was the guy that made what you're talking about. And you could be right, but toughest state to go in and get a kid that LSU wants. Nick Saban did that. And when Nick Saban was at LSU, you didn't have many of the guys that they truly wanted to leave. I mean, I, I just, I can think of maybe only a couple, I'm sure there are a few more, but very few. But now that Nick Saban is at Alabama, uh, that's not quite the case. I mean, it, it still would probably rank up there near the highest. Um, but it is not a complete, there's a fence, but, but there's a few gate openings, you know, that, that, that the tough, the ride from Tuscaloosa in, they, they get some guys, not numbers, but the guys they really want, we can go down. It seems like every year they're getting one or two that LSU wants and they're going to Tuscaloosa. So, but I do, I do agree with that. If you look at it, um, in states like, like, like I would say, that in Southern California, traditionally, if USC wants you, I mean, every kid wants to go to USC and they just got so many, they don't, sometimes they don't get them. Sometimes they have ties to other schools or they just, they don't have a, you know, enough scholarships to give all the ones that they want, but that's such a big state. Texas, such a big state, you know, Georgia is now such a big state. Um, you're right. People go into Nashville or Tennessee or South Carolina, um, you know, Alabama recruits nationally. I, I'd say that it's tough to get a kid out of Alabama um, that Alabama truly wants. Um, Florida's so big, but no, I, I think you're you're on it. I think Louisiana still may be, if not the toughest, uh, definitely on a short list of the toughest players to go out and get. But Alabama, if you, you take Alabama and Nick Saban out of the mix – um, I, there's really nobody, you know, it's very rare that LSU wants a guy that a kid goes somewhere else. Yeah. So that's even more reason for LSU fans to want Nick Saban to retire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen, you bring up, you bring up Nick Saban in Louisiana, trust me. And, and I get it because, you know, I, you know, people know me and know my background with Nick and, you know, really worked hard to get him over here at LSU. And then, um, you know, people knowing my background with them and being a former LSU assistant and LSU grad, I, I get a lot of that. There, there is a, there's vitriol. There's, there's hate big time, you know, and I think there are a lot of people that, that hate him. You know, obviously I think every one of them would want him to still be the head coach at LSU. That's the reason for the hate. Not only did he leave, went to the NFL, but he ends up back at the school that you grew up. Most LSU fans grew up hating the most because LSU could Charlie Mack could never beat Bear Bryant in Alabama. I mean, who could? But you know that was a problem, and so now, really, Nick Saban's coming back to college. Oh, by the way, he's going to Tuscaloosa in your same division at the school that you could never beat, and now you still can't beat him. Oh man, that just sets up you know <laughs> the vitriol that you bring his name up. It's uh, I, I it's it's tough. Well, he looked inside uh, the film room. We've been doing a preview of teams in the SEC today at South Carolina 
on the docket. What do you think about the Gamecocks? We've talked before about how there's a bit of a glass ceiling uh, for South Carolina. Uh, your thoughts on what they can do in 2019? Well, it's a... Um... It's a glass ceiling, but you know, <laughs> between the floor and the ceiling, I mean, they put some some uh, some big obstacles in there. I mean, my goodness, we've talked about schedules. There are schedules. There are tough schedules. There are really tough schedules, and then there is South Carolina schedule. So, yeah, they do play Clemson. They play them every year. Oh, by the way, we know they play Georgia every year because they're in the conference. So. That's two out of the three, right, that they've got to play. Uh, by the way, that one of their cross-sectional games is Alabama. I mean, how nuts is that? Now, maybe A&M, with a similar schedule, can boast the toughest schedule and probably be right. Um, but uh, it is very, very difficult. So they open up. I'm going to go schedule first. They open up North Carolina and Charlotte. Got to win that game. Got to beat Charleston Southern. Uh, and, and let's just call it like it is. Uh, they're not beating Alabama. They're not going to Georgia and winning. Uh, I even I didn't even mention Florida. Of course, they because we know they play Florida in the East. That's going to be really tough. They got to go to AM. That's going to be tough. And they're not beating Clemson. Um, so uh, they're going to go to Missouri and win. I don't know. Maybe Kentucky at home. Uh, maybe at Tennessee. Not a given, but you know. Will's had a lot of success against Tennessee, wherever he's been. Uh, Appalachian State, no piece of cake, by the way. Um, but that's got to be a win. Uh, you know, you if you give them a win at Tennessee, you give them a win against Vanderbilt at home. You give them a win at Missouri and Kentucky at home. And I'm not giving them all. I'm just saying let's just play the game that people like to play. That's 7-5. and five. That's an outstanding year. Because that means that you lose to Alabama – Lose to Georgia, lose to Clemson. Well, I, you know, you, Gamecock fans, I love you, but, you know, the whole talk, they're going to pull an upset. Look, anything can happen at sports, but some something's going to have to really be quirky for you to win any one of those games to even have a chance in the fourth quarter to be in any one of those games. Now, could you beat Florida? Perhaps. You go 8-4, and four, that's coach of the year material in my mind. I mean, that that's just, to me, that's I, and I look at it from a roster standpoint, okay? And that's that's five losses from a roster standpoint. Absolutely. I think that they're a better roster than Tennessee and Vanderbilt. I think they have a better roster than Kentucky. I think they have a comparable roster and maybe, maybe a tick better than Missouri. But going on the road against Missouri – Listen, this team could be 6-6, six and six, and it would be no shame. I mean, th- this is how tough it is. Where is the program right now? I think they've got better depth than they've had. They're more competitive in terms of how they can prepare because they've got good uh, uh, depth. Look, Will is 22-17, and 12-12 and 12 in the SEC in his first three years. He's not going anywhere, folks, okay? He, he should be there for a while. He's building a good infrastructure. The thing that is really perplexing, and we'll get into the personnel in a second, but they have done a good job, Dave, on the defensive line. I actually think the offensive line is pretty good. The trenches, they've done a good job. Where is the running backs? For goodness sakes, for all the good recruiting, they don't have that type of back, and they continue to run the football. And 
that kind of undermines that defense. So Jake Bentley's going to have to have a more consistent year. I think that um, they've made some changes on the staff that maybe can help them a little bit. But, you know, they they haven't finished higher than 12th in rushing in the SEC since Will's been there. And for a defensive coach and what he wants to do on offense to just completely not get that done. I mean, near the bottom of the league, um, it's just, you know, incredible that they've been that putrid in three years running the football. Debo Samuel, no longer there. Can Brian Edwards step up? What other receiver can step up? Can they find a way to, to make enough plays in the running game to prevent Jake Bentley from being, you know, the gunslinger and turning the football over? Because um, I think that's the issue. Look, this is a deep offensive line. It's the deepest line that he's had since he's been at South Carolina. How about the defensive line? I'm going to tell you. That, and we talked about it when we went through the position groups. It's one of the better, you know, deeper defensive lines. Kinlaw special. Keir Thomas, Woonham, uh, Ricky Sandridge, uh, Anagabari, Pickens. I got some really good guys that can play. And I mean, play at a high level. So they're really good. Now, last year did not grade the linebackers out very well at all. Uh, TJ Brunson comes back. I know he's been working through some injuries that that's going to need to be upgraded. Um, I like the South Carolina secondary. I do not like the depth, but I like the secondary. So, Look, they've been injured a lot. It's it's hurt them down the stretch of the past couple of years, uh, and that's the biggest unknown. Um, it's the most experienced quarterback in the league. Think about it. It's not the best quarterback in the league by a long shot, but the most experienced guy. And if there's a guy that if he settles down and makes better decisions, that could just jump on the scene and say, who's the guy you're not talking about at quarterback in the SEC that can, you know, just, hey, might be all SEC or, you know, second team or whatever. It's Jake Bentley. He has the ability. He has the upside. He has the playmaking ability to be one of the better quarterbacks in this league. He just makes too many mistakes to fit into that category at this point. I think Dan Werner's going to help him a lot in his decision-making. Um, so we'll see. But they've got to need – they've got to get a better running back, a, a running game – and the secondary can't have any injuries. So, uh, listen, I think Zach Pickens is a guy that can help them early. Um, you know, for all the quality of the defensive line in their pass rush, they couldn't defend the run well. So when you can't run the football and you can't defend the run, that is like the fundamental part of football that they've lacked. So it's a talented team. I think they've got some, um, from a recruiting standpoint, a good future. Is Will going to be able to, get it all together. I, I think it's debatable, but I think the program's in pretty good, pretty good shape. But, uh, you know, it's just kind of, can he get it done as a weekend week out game coach? So listen, it's a veteran offense. They return a lot of the defense. They need some breaks injury wise. Uh, they're need going to need to find somebody that can run the football consistently enough, develop, you know, as a result of that, some playmakers in the passing game, um, but you know, the running game is key and, and, I, and it's still question marks coming out of, uh, spring practice. So I've got some concerns about it. Um, and I, you know, when you throw it up against their schedule, I, I just, you know, I, I, the thing that jumps out at me when I watch them on tape, Dave is, and this is something that I saw at Florida and I don't want to just make snap conclusions. I've thought about this a lot before I'd say it. 
when I see South Carolina, I see talent, but I don't see a lot of discipline. And, you know, so a lot of times they lose their way in games. Things go bad and they, they tend to make a lot of mistakes. So um, I think it's a – listen, again, it, when people say things like, well, we'll better get it done this year. What's getting it done against this schedule? I think they could, if they're well coached and they're disciplined and they have all the breaks injury wise, I mean, the the best they can go is eight and four and probably seven and five. So I think there is a danger. So this is the danger warning. If they do have some injury problems, if they can't find the answers at the running game. If they have some discipline issues, and I'm not talking about guys getting in trouble. I'm talking about discipline on the field, getting lined up, um, you know, taking freelancing too much on defense and not being sound in your gap control. If you have some of that, Dave, we're, we're talking six and six, dare I say, five and seven-ish. And that would sound the alarm. And that just looks bad, and it sounds bad. But that's only a game or two against a pretty decent team that would take you to maybe seven and five to six and six or potentially five and seven, because they're not going any better than eight and four if everything goes well. So I think this is a year that sets up as one that in most people's eyes, most media folks are going to say South Carolina's had a disappointing year. Well, it's only disappointing if they go six and six or five and seven. Because seven and five is not bad against that schedule. Eight and four would be getting it done. Um, nine and three, we'd have to have an investigation how that happened. Yeah, and you mentioned um, some of those games. Uh, I don't think we'd be stunned uh, if if they lost to Kentucky, Tennessee, or Appalachian State. So uh, you expect them to win those games because their roster is better, but it wouldn't be a monstrous upset. So uh, yeah, Columbia up the- and Knoxville. So you're right. Yeah. I mean, that's on the road in particular, you know, Kentucky's at home and Vanderbilt's at home. Uh, Appalachian state's at home, but uh, no, that's difficult. And, and, and listen, I mean, you got Florida at home, but you got to go to A&M too. I mean, it, it, it's tough. And, and so no, listen, that's, that's a, that's a bear. Yeah. No question. Uh, coming up, we'll have your scouting spotlight. Uh, we'll take a look at players from Kentucky, Tennessee, Georgia, and Alabama. Also, we'll get to the top defensive players in the SEC. Your scouting spotlight coming up next. This is your Locked on SEC football podcast. He's Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. Stay tuned. You are Locked on SEC football, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. You're locked on SEC football podcast. It's time for the scouting spotlight, taking a look at some players that are expected to make some plays definitely in 2019 as we are right around the corner. Uh, let's start with Kentucky wide receiver uh, Lynn Bowden. As you know, we're talking about a, a guy who steps in and um, obviously the expectations are much different than they were a year ago. Kentucky fans are expecting to be bowl eligible and perhaps beyond, even if that's not realistic. But uh, your thoughts on on what you can expect out of this talented wide receiver? Yeah, I think he's um, he's really a very productive guy, and I think he's one of the more underrated players 
um, in the SEC. He's got nice size, particularly for a slot guy. And, you know, I love those guys that have some versatility. And when you've got the quickness to when the two-way goes inside, um, then you become a matchup problem quickness-wise for a safety, uh, size-wise for perhaps a nickel. And this is, um, you know, listen, this is a run-heavy team. Uh, may need to focus a little bit more in the passing game, but but I don't know that they're going to be able to do that a whole lot with Terry Wilson. So we'll see. Um, I, I think with a run-focused team, his numbers may not be what people think, but the big playability could be great because people are going to have to uh, bring a safety down in the box, and I think this is going to create some opportunities for him to make some big plays. But I, I see this guy as being, you know, potentially uh, one of the top three slot corners in the sec so um really good uh, really good sized kid with good quickness like his ability to route uh, to run routes and he does a great job catching out of frame so he can work routes over the middle of the field not have to gather and catch um lynn bowden's really good player so i'm excited to see him and then you know he's got some ability in the return game as well and then at tennessee tyson chandler uh, your thoughts on him uh, catching the ball out of the backfield? He's he's shown some playmaking ability. Yeah, listen, I'm going to tell you. Um, if you look at the best receiving backs returning um, in the SEC, I, I think DeAndre Swift, no doubt, has been the most natural coming out of the backfield, gathering, making adjustments to catch the ball. Um, but I think the next best guy is probably Tyson Chandler in terms of his natural ability to do that. He's, um, you know, he's a 200 pound guy. He moves well for that size. Uh, and he caught about 20 balls last year. Um, and I think it'd be a real factor for them. He's going to be the lead back, but, you know, having him in there and having the versatility to work him out of the backfield, you know, in, in blitz situations, it's really important because, you know, obviously they've got to stay in. And then as the blitzer runs by him, they leak out instead of, you know, you've got the option to, you know, cut block or just release him out and they should just dump the ball to him. And I think he can be really effective. And it's and it's important, not just the run after catch ability, but I don't think people pay enough attention. And, and we do as scouts is to say, hey, wait, the ability when the ball has to come out quick and it in the face of a blitzer, you maybe have to go out and dig it out of the dirt. You have to adjust outside of your frame, catch the ball, and wheel your body around and get upfield because that's the difference in a three-yard gain or maybe an eight or 10 or 12-yard gain in making the defender miss and having a defender getting less of an angle on you. And I think he can be really effective doing that. So I'm excited about the, the potential there of uh, Tyson uh, in that role. Another skill position player before we get to uh, one of the top defenders uh, in the conference, uh, Dominique Blaylock in Georgia. Your thoughts on him? Well, a lot of talk about the receivers at Georgia and who they don't have and where they're going to be. Listen, I think there's a legitimate concern. That's one of the things about Georgia that I would say, you know, for all their great recruiting, there are gaps in it, meaning there's there's um, every class is not littered with the, you know, guys that have been properly developed and vetted and, and they're really, really good in some areas, like they're loaded at running back, but receivers are not as good. This kid has the potential as a freshman to have an early impact. Um, you know, there's, I think, some guys that are athletic, that can run, that can be pretty good receivers for Georgia. 
I just don't know how effective, Dave, they're going to be this year. Blaylock potentially could be one. I think he's got the natural ability. I think he also is going to be a demon on special teams. He's a little bit more advanced in terms of his route running and his ability to make plays. Um, So he's a guy to keep an eye out on. And as I've kind of gone back and really studied their receiving situation due to the injuries and uh, the transfers and the kicking off of teams and all the issues that they've had, um, that's a guy that I think is worth uh, following this year. Well, we go to Tuscaloosa. I know this is no great shock, but a shocker, but it, it does appear they have a another really good linebacker. Would that be the case? <laughs> yeah, you know, there. Here's the thing about it, and and that's that's what's made Alabama just a tad better. Although George just played with Alabama, we know the past couple of times, and probably should have beaten them. They couldn't finish it, and that's a different story for a different day. Uh, but the the thing that I like just a little bit better about Alabama is there's not real weaknesses. There's you all, they always lose guys early and they have, you know, they have guys coming up, but there's no real, they usually have some experience. So every recruiting class is pretty solid or in most cases, great. And they develop them well. But what I like about pretty much every position, you could talk about it for, for on offense, on defense and the offensive line, defensive line, but they're linebackers. They're signal callers. They're quarterback of their defense. They always have that great alpha dog leader. And they don't, that's not recruited. That's recruited and developed. And now I just think it's Dylan Moses' time. Uh, He had a really good sophomore season. Uh, He made a lot of plays. Um, But, you know, what he's going, this is the difference. People will look and say, oh, yeah, he's back again. He is in a different role. They're going to ask more of them. He's going to be more of a leader, more of a signal caller, more of an adjuster, more of a recognition guy on the field. That's a different role that may not be um, discerned so easily, but the little nuances when watching him, he's, he's now in that role. So you can go back, and we can go back over the years and years of those guys that have had that role. I think Dylan Moses not only has the physical skills, but now has enough experience. And that's saying an awful lot because we're probably talking as a sophomore year last year, but now the cycle is he'll have a good year this year and he's probably going to come out and if he's healthy. If not, and he's not a high pick, he may come back for another year, but he's probably coming out. So Dylan Moses is the next guy in, and they've got another guy or two that are going to be the next Dylan Moses coming forward. But I think it's his year to be the alpha dog leader, the second level of their defense guy that can set protections and coverages, make adjustments for him. I think he's going to play a big role for those guys. Coming up, top defensive players in the SEC. He's Chris Landry at LandryFootball.com. I'm Dave Hooker. You're locked on SEC Football Podcast continues after this. You are locked on SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. You're locked on SEC football podcast. Don't forget to go to twillery.com. Use the locked on promo code. Get $25 off fantastic shirts that do not wrinkle and you can wear untucked and they're very affordable. The company has been in business for a century. So use the locked on promo code to get $25 off top defensive players in the conference. Uh, How do they stack up for you, Chris? Well, you know, it is uh, always a, a challenge to look and say, this guy is the best. This, it's, it's difficult. They're different spots. So 
how do you differentiate different positions? The two guys that jump out at me the most, the guys that are not only talented but experienced, we know what they are. Um, I would say that it's very close between Derek Brown, the outstanding defensive tackle from Auburn, Grant Delpit, the safety from LSU, and, and, and the aforementioned Dylan Moses. I think those three guys are what I would call elite-level players that would figure amongst the top eight or ten players uh, in the entire league and not just on the defensive side overall. So I think those guys. Then then I would say Christian Fulton of LSU is another one. C.J. Henderson, the corner at Florida. Um, I think that there's a couple of guys. I think J.R. Reed at Georgia. The safety is very good. I think T.J. Brunson of South Carolina. Kale Garrett, the linebacker from Missouri, is uh, really good. Roquan Davis, um, Javon Kinlaw, the defensive tackles from Alabama, South Carolina, very talented. Although Roquan Davis hasn't had that turn-it-on big-time year, I'm wondering if he's going to have that this year or not. Uh, like Michael Divinity, a lot out of LSU. Uh, Caleb on Chason of LSU. Uh, Jabari Zaninga from Florida is another really good one that I think is going to be a, an outstanding defender this year. Um, uh, I think uh, Dijon Harris of Arkansas is very good. Um, Justin Matabuke, the defensive interior defensive lineman from Brian a is very good. Um, Anthony Jennings, um, of Alabama is very good. Uh, I like uh, Richard LeCount from Georgia, I think is a very good player, uh, as well. Uh, I'm trying Rashad Lawrence of LSU, Chauncey Rivers of Mississippi state. I think Auburn's, I think, you know, Georgia's safeties are good. I love Auburn's defensive line. I throw Marlon Davidson in there, uh, just kind of going around the league. Uh, uh, Mikel, McTelvin, uh, Aikam of, um, of Arkansas, uh, Josiah Cosey, uh, Cotney of Ole Miss, um, or some other guys that I would mention that uh, are in that group of what I would call a, a cash Daniels is not, they've lost a lot at Kentucky, but I think he's a really good player as well. So those are some, some guys, not a complete list, but, oh, I, I'm gosh, as I mentioned, can't forget Cameron Dansfield. We've talked about him recently. Uh, at Mississippi State. So it's kind of looking at around the league and thinking um, those are some guys that really jump out at me as the very best players going into the season in the SEC. It's it, it, They have, I will say this, that comparatively speaking, the more home run hitters defensively, more big-time talent, more pro prospects, more elite-level college players on the defensive side of the ball that come out of the SEC than any other league. Um, so I, I think it's uh, athletically a very good group and uh, should have some pretty good defenses this year. Listen, Alabama's defense is going to be really good. LSU's defense is going to be really good. Auburn's defense is going to be really good. I think Georgia and Florida's defense is going to be really good. And I think some other schools will be a little bit better defensively. You know, mentioned a little bit South Carolina. Could they be improved? Um you know, uh, A&M could be improved. So there'll, there'll be some high-level defenses uh, nation, nationally ranked coming out of the SEC again this year. You're locked on SEC football podcast. For Chris Landry, I'm Dave Hooker. We'd love a review uh, wherever you download this podcast. Go ahead and uh, give us a rating. Give us a review. If you got questions for us, go to Twitter and you can – uh, send questions to at the Dave Hooker or at Landry Football. It's that simple. You're locked on SEC Football Podcast. SEC Media Days right around the corner. We will talk to you tomorrow. Have a fantastic day, everyone.